next on the OHIO podcast. We respond to the commitment of linebacker Arvell Reese. We discuss the news and notes from the start of fall camp. We play true or false, and we rank the position groups. Plus, we continue our Big Ten two-a-days with the Indiana and Minnesota previews. And that all starts right now. It's so easy to be average. You know it as well as I know it. It takes a little something to be special, Don. It takes a little something special to be a great player. We don't have enough great players. To hell with that! We don't want to coach average. I don't want to be around you. Why be around average? proud of our young people in the classroom, in the community, and most especially in 310 days in Ann Arbor, Michigan, on the football field. Three things. Number one, the team that hits the hardest and the longest, the team that starts the fastest, and the team is too damn smart to make mistakes. If you take it to them, if you don't make mistakes, and you keep taking it to them, hell, there's no question who wins. It's time for the best Buckeye podcast. By fans, for the fans, where they hate that team up north as much as you do. It's time for the OHIO Podcast. OHIO! Welcome back to the OHIO Podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Buckeye Boggs, recording live from an absolute steamy north central Ohio, where I'm joined by not one, but two! My two co-hosts are back. We are holding hands, skipping down the yellow brick, yellow brick road of Ohio Stadium. I guess I should say scarlet and gray brick road of Ohio Stadium. As we get ready for the kickoff of the 2022 season from Marion, Ohio, Chris Wilds. Chris, how's it going today, buddy? It's hot, Eric. I'm tired of the heat, man. I'm, I'm over it. I'm starting to feel like I'm down there in Texas. Speaking of how hot it is in Texas, Aaron Brown, welcome back to the show, brother. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be back. Can't wait to talk some Buckeyes. Yeah, we've got plenty of that to do today. Let's just jump right into it, guys. So uh, recruiting's been a little bit rough last couple weeks, but we got a nice little boom yesterday. I love this particularly myself because, number one, this cat, Arvell Reese, is an Ohio kid, and number two, he happens to go to a high school that was a major pipeline for Ohio State under the Jim Trestle era, and I'm thinking we're going to tap back into that pipeline, it sounds like, a little bit here. I'll turn it over to you first, Chris. Why don't you give me the lowdown on Arvell Reese? Tell me about this new recruit that uh, set off fireworks in Buckeye Nation last night. Well, I'll tell you, Arvell Reese is a six-foot, three-and-a-half-inch, 200-pound, four-star linebacker out of as you started to mention there, Eric, Glenville High School in Cleveland. Now, Glenville under Ted Ginn Sr. has given us some really great recruits. I mean, you think back to, to Troy Smith, to Ted Ginn Jr. Uh, I, I believe Marshawn Lattimore came out of Glenville, did he not? Marshawn Lattimore was the last big one we had, yes. Yeah, I mean, we had, Cardale, I believe, was also out of that area. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we had some, we had some serious recruits coming out of uh out of uh, the Glenville High School, and I'll tell you, I love tapping back into that. 
Again, you mentioned it being a home uh, a home state thing. I think that reduces the chance that we're going to see a flip a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. According to 247 Sports Composite Ranking, Reese is rated as the 277th best player overall in the 2023 cycle. He's the 20th best among the linebackers and the seventh best prospect from the state of Ohio. Uh, Reese is, I'll tell you, he's gifted physically. He's got size, strength, speed. He runs a 4.6540. You know, he shows good range and mobility. He's very physical. Uh, when he hits you, you stay hit. Uh, he has a great deal of athleticism from what we've seen and, and what is a fairly limited body of work. Uh, you know, he can get, I, I, he does pretty well getting sideline to sideline. Um, can get in there, stop the run, maybe cover a little bit in the uh, the mid-range drops, but I'll tell you, he can also really get to that quarterback. Uh, guys, this guy doesn't just run to the ball. He runs through the ball carrier. Uh, you know, he's, he is young. I believe he's going to turn 18 right before his first season starts. And he could definitely use some refinement on his technique a little bit, but the upside on this kid is tremendous, and I think he's going to be a great addition to the group. And you know what? For a team looking for a linebacker after we missed out on a couple there for 2023, I think this was huge. All right, Aaron, you're the you're the film guy here. Why don't you break down what you saw from Arvell on the film and, and what he's going to bring to Columbus, Ohio next year as a freshman? I think what a lot of, of what Chris said is is right. Uh, he's athletic. He's a hitter. Natural instincts. Great frame at six three. I think he needs a little bit more weight. I think they listed him at like two twelve or two ten something in that ballpark. If we could get him to like two forty, two forty five, and he keeps that speed and athleticism, the kid's gonna be a monster. Like he's he's just what I would want a linebacker to look like and play like. Uh, he definitely gets people to the ground come hell or high water. Like, you're going to go down. It, it doesn't matter if it's a big hit or a shoestring tackle. He makes the tackles, like Chris said. I doubt he'll be missing any tackles on quarterbacks in the Rose Bowl looking at you, Taraja Mitchell. I, th- I think that this this is a great get. I'm excited to see what this kid's going to bring to the table. He He does need some refinement on his technique and things, but keep in mind, He's only played five games at linebacker in high school. Mm-hmm. So that, you know what I mean? That's It's going to come with the territory. He's going to get better. I'd be willing to bet his ranking goes up over the course of his senior season. It's uh, This is a good get. I mean, if, if, if Alabama's trying to get him, uh, who else was who else was after him? Alabama, Iowa, Nebraska, Penn State, and, and, a, and, a, and a slew of others, you know. Kentucky. So, yeah, if, mm-hmm. if those schools are going after this kid hot and heavy and we got him, that's a good get in my book. Yeah. Here's my notes from from his video that I uh, – from his film that I wrote down. Three words, tackle, tackle, tackle. <laughs> this guy is a tackling machine, decent athleticism, might end up at defensive end given his ability to play with his hand on the ground. Um, like Aaron said, he's only played like five games at linebacker. So um, like Chris and both you and Chris mentioned, Aaron, there's some refinement needs to go on here if he's going to be linebacker. But I love his size, man. At almost 6'4", he's got a big frame for the body by Mickey program to really work with. And uh, if he if he commits himself to that, this guy could be a monster, like you said. Now, in his highlight film, folks, you're going to see him playing for Euclid High School. That is where he spent um, the first three years of his high school career. He's transferring over to Glenville, so he is considered a Glenville 
uh, commit, but he's really been a Euclid High School product to this point. I think he went to Glenville, sounds like, to get some some better coaching and a little bit more of a exposure on the national level. So good move by him. And uh, he's the last of the big commitments that Ohio State was going after from the state of Ohio. So if you look at the top 10 recruits from the state of Ohio, Ohio State was going after seven of them very hard. Luke Montgomery, of course. Uh, Brennan Vernon, who ended up with Notre Dame. He's the big uh, defensive end from Mentor who we we wanted, but uh, decided that he wanted to be an Irish. Uh, Malik Hartford, we got. Joshua Padilla, we got. Jermaine Matthews, we got. Austin Sreerveld, we got. And now Arvell Reese, we got. 8, 9, and 10, Nigel Glover, uh, Glover from Clayton, Ohio. Uh, he is going to be going to Northwestern. He's a linebacker. Uh, Trevor Carter from Ironton, Ohio. He's also a linebacker. He's going to Cincinnati. And Anthony Brown from Springfield, Ohio, the wide receiver, he's going to Kentucky. All three of those guys did not receive Ohio State offers. I think maybe they were soft offers, but not firm. And, of course, number 13 in the state, Will Smith Jr. from Dublin, he's going to be a Buckeye as well. So if you're keeping track at home, that's seven guys. um, That's uh, six out of the top seven. And then number 13, Will Smith, seven guys. Uh, Ohio kids going to be Buckeyes. I don't know that we're going to get anybody else from the state of Ohio because if you look at all the players from the state of Ohio, they all are committed until you get down to number 32. So I just don't see Ohio State picking up the 32nd ranked uh, kid from Ohio who's a three-star. I think they're going to be going more nationally to fill out the remainder of this 2023 class. So there you have it. That's a little bit about Arvell Reese. Welcome to uh, Buckeye Nation, my man. All right. Fall camp. I almost said spring camp. Fall camp uh, started this week. Thank goodness for that, man. I tell you what, this is when you know it's about football time. Aaron, I'm going to start with you, man, because you've been here. What is it like as a coach and what is it like as a player to start fall camp? It's exciting. It's I mean, it's it's exciting for for everybody because it's almost like a fresh start. You know, if you're the starter, you got to hang on to the job. You get to put your skills, everything that you developed uh, in the offseason, like weight training, stretching, everything you've done. You get to put that on display, your improvements specifically. Um, It's 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 exciting. I don't that's really the only word I can use to describe it as a player. Um, if you're if you're a backup or you're you're fighting for playing time, there's a little anxiety, but you still got to go out there and perform and do your best. And, and, and even if you don't end up with the starting job at Ohio State, particularly uh, along the defensive line, you know, you're going to be in rotation. So you're fighting for a rotation spot. Uh, you know, it's it's you're just you're just constantly in fight mode because you're just you're putting it all out there on the field to get a spot for playing time. That's as a player. As a coach, you're really evaluating who took care of themselves in the offseason, who did who who got better, who got worse, who sat in the dorms all summer long, who you know what I mean? That kind of thing. (laughs) Who who put in the time to be a champion for this season? That's kind of what they're looking for. And then there's also the added stress of like 
you know, installing the playbook. Now, obviously, you know, you don't you don't just it's this isn't NCAA football on on PS3 where it's just a set playbook, you know. Yeah, you're going to see some of the same stuff you saw last year, but they, they have to keep it fresh. They have to continue to be innovative. So you're going to see the installment of new. Well, we won't see it, but you you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're, you're going to see new plays this year. You're going to see little little wrinkles in older plays. Just maybe it's a motion. Maybe it's uh, an extra tight end. You know, there's a lot of changes that will be made, and they may be ever so slight. You might see a whole new play that we haven't seen Ohio State run. You're just like, hold on a minute. That's not the same offense we've been accustomed to. You know, just little things like that. So that's that's pretty much fall camp in a nutshell. It's exciting for everybody. There's a lot of uh, analysis going on, a lot of improvement or not improvement. For some, I suppose, but everybody's fighting to get better, and it's just a good time of the year. Yeah, speaking of who put the work in in the off season, uh, one of the things that came out here in the first week of fall camp was the announcement of the Iron Buckeye Award. The guys who put forth the effort uh, in the weight room, uh, on the practice field, in the film study over the course of the last five months of um, basically uh, non-football time i guess you could say spring uh, at the end of the season heading into the fall here so spring and summer and this program is ran by body by mickey coach mickey mariotti and then he gets to choose so it's not coach day and the coaches but he chooses who gets what's awarded the iron buckeye these are the guys who go above and beyond they never miss us never miss a time to work out a workout time they never they're going above and beyond, like I said, on the field, in the weight room, and, and, and just doing everything that the coaches are looking for in being the leader. So seven of them. They were Cameron Babb, Julian Fleming, Tommy Eichenberg, Tyler Friday, Ronnie Hickman, and Court Williams, which I think it spells great news for the defensive backfield guys, and tied in Kate Stover. So those were the seven Iron Buckeyes from this uh, past offseason. Congratulations to those guys. Chris, I'm going to start with you here. What's some news and notes coming out of fall camp that caught your eye? Well, I'll tell you, let's, let's talk about the elephant in the room, Eric. I mean, come on. How about the kicker, Jake Siebert, oh, Lord. donning yes. his 16 jersey <laughs> and lining up in the defensive backfield? <sighs> I mean, come on. Now, Siebert did play a little bit of, a little bit of wide receiver, a little bit of cornerback in high school, but he was participating in position drills with the corners. Now, obviously, we've got, you know, we got a couple guys in, in camp with obviously Noah Ruggles returning, and, and we're anticipating the, the finalizing of the Parker Lewis transfer. Oh. Uh, so, you know, playing time is going to get a little rough there, maybe at the kicking position, even though Siebert was, what, ranked the second best kicker, I believe, coming out in 2020. Yep. But you know what? In in the uh, you know kind of in the form of steel chambers and Cade Stover, here's a guy who's looking to make himself a little more valuable and do whatever he can to get on the field to, to make a contribution. So, I mean, I, does he get in there a lot? No, probably not. But could he add a little depth? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how good of a corner he is. I guess we'll have to wait and see what the uh, coaches think. Aaron, I heard you uh, respond to that. Go ahead, man. No, this is cool. I, lo- I love when there's like these little position changes. Like I was reading, I, I forget what article it was about this. They said he's still going to continue practicing, you know, doing his kicking duties at practice. But um, in my opinion, we only have six scholarship corners. 
So that's it's not a great deal of depth. So I'm kind of wondering, like, was he kind of asked to to give it a shot? You know, because they like Chris said, they they knew he played corner and, and a little receiver in high school. So you, did was this kind of like a hey, would you mind giving this a shot and we'll just see where it goes just for the sake of depth, perhaps? I, I highly doubt they expect him to to step in there and, and do much. But either way, um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think this is a it's it's interesting. It's going to be fun to see what happens. I think. Siebert at corner versus Bryson Shaw at safety. Who you I'll got? I'll take Siebert. I've never <laughs> seen him. I've never seen him. I've never seen Siebert play corner, but I'll take him over Bryson Shaw at safety there, there seven no, days of the week and twice on Sunday. There was no hesitation there, man. Nah, that's how much of a fan of him I am. Oh, I think USC just gave up another touchdown uh, right off the bat, and they haven't even played a game yet. I bet you he never sees the field out there. Oh, shoot. I don't know. All right. So how about this one, guys? This is – let me jump on this train uh, train here. The thing, the first thing that jumped out to me in camp was the news of Julian Fleming. Can I read you this quote from Ryan Day about Julian Fleming, man? He said, Julian Fleming had the best offseason he has had to this point. He was an iron Buckeye and one of the most improved. That was excellent. I think Julian Fleming knows if he does not have a, um, if he doesn't break through whatever it's held him back, I know it's been some little bit of injuries and maybe a little bit of understanding the wide receiver position, given the fact he came from a high school in Pennsylvania that was more of a wing T style of offense as versus a, a, a pro drop back you know, uh, throw happy, pass happy offense that Ryan Day likes to run. So I think there was some some learning that needed to be done there. Then he had injuries and, and whatnot. And then you have a Mecca Egbuka nipping at his heels. And then, of course, Marvin Harrison Jr. has the, the Rose Bowl game he had. I think Julian Fleming knew if I don't if I don't have the offseason to get me in this rotation, I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna have a career beyond you know, what I, what you see already. So I, I got to put a th- two thumbs up to Julian Fleming and that's got me excited because I thought this was going to be a Mecca Buka's job. I'm not so sure anymore. I think Julian Fleming is really pushing for that uh, other wide receiver position. I do think there will be a rotation there, but I think he gets first crack at it guys. So that, that got me excited. Uh, Aaron, what other news and notes did you get uh, from fall camp that you want to touch on? Yeah. So, Something that that I liked that I saw is Ohio State's new offensive line coach. He's got all the freshmen. So traditionally, let me back up here a minute. Traditionally, what happens? Guys come in, they're recruited as a guard, so they practice as a guard, right? Well, or as a center, they just practice as a center. Well, that's kind of that's kind of going away, and I like that because what that's doing is. The, the new O-line coach has got all the freshmen, regardless of their position, of what they were recruited for. They're all starting at tackle because he wants to see who's good at what. And it's not just like analyzing who's good at what. It's also developing them because think typically if you want to play tackle, you have to have good footwork, right? Well, even if you don't have good footwork, if he works with them, they're going to and, and they get moved to guard, they're going to have better footwork than they did before. So now not only are the tackles going to be the best at, at footwork, the guards are going to have above average, maybe even pretty good footwork also. 
and then you put that into the center, and that's what you need. That's what that along the offensive line. That's what you got to have is 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 a whole line with really good footwork because you don't want guys slipping, falling down, uh, losing a level, and then getting taken advantage of by a defensive tackle or D end. So to me, that's exciting. This is development. That is true development because now they're getting reps at tackle. And even if they don't make it as a starter or second string, they get bumped down to guard. So they're still going to be really good. So I like it. That's something that really got me excited for the future. Yeah, the way I looked at it, Aaron, and tell me if I'm wrong, it can't hurt. It absolutely no. can't hurt their development because, I mean, the, the skill set you're going to learn at tackle. And it could also mean that we're a little bit we're a little bit light there. And I think we are. Yeah. But, you know, if you find a diamond in the rough there, that's awesome. That's the whole point of it. Right. Oh yeah, for sure, man. That's and that's and that's honestly, uh, yes, yeah. That that's kind of what I'm getting at too. Is is it can't hurt anything because you're right. If they do find a diamond in the rough, uh, you just found a diamond in the rough. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and at a minimum, they they develop, they learned a little something from that position that they can take down into guard or center or whatever they end up doing. So. Yeah, that nothing. This doesn't hurt at all. This is a really smart move that I have. I don't think I've heard of any other O line coaches really doing. They might have taken like onesies and twosies, you know, and had them kind of give it a shot to see what they could do. But just to take a whole class of freshmen or incoming guys and have them do that, it was essentially a tryout to see who who was best at or who has potential. All right, Chris. Something else from fall camp that got you a little bit excited, my man. Well, you know, Eric, we've all been coming into this season with just these these huge huge expectations for this offense that was so great last year. How about Ryan Day taking us all on a little reality check, trying to curb that enthusiasm a little bit, so to speak, and he just comes out and says, you know what, this offensive hasn't done anything yet. <laughs> you know, CJ's done some things, JSN's done some things, but you know what, the offensive team as a whole has yet to accomplish anything. So, you know, he's getting out there and getting in front of it. I think he's trying to keep these guys humble, but also trying to uh, maybe curb our expectations a little bit. Well, I tell you, if they come out week one against Notre Dame and they hang up, uh, hang up a big L on Notre Dame, like by double digits or more, there's nothing he's going to be able to do to stop those expectations. I mean, they, they are what they are. Well, and I think that they're still there, Eric, but you know what? He just doesn't want to want everybody to know that they're there. <laughs> well, let me let me chime in on this one here. So that's a little bit of double talk. He's kind of talking out of both sides of his mouth on that because, number one, he's right. This offense hasn't done anything. And the other side to this, the other side of the mouth is saying it's like a challenge. It's a motivation to the offense. You see what I mean? He's challenging them. You haven't done anything yet. Don't be complacent. So I that's that was a good point, Chris. I like that. But this was also 90% of what we saw in the Rose Bowl back again. So, yeah. Well, that, and that's why I said, you know, he's he's <laughs> yeah. not wrong. This offense hasn't done anything yet. We'll see what happens, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Uh, how about Tony Alford, our running backs coach, met with the media as well. And he got the opportunity to talk about what is 
what is probably going to be a three-headed monster at the, in the defensive backfield here, guys. We all know Travion Henderson is is one, and Mayan Williams is one A, as I will call him, or one B. I think Mayan Williams, uh, uh, he even let the cat out of the bag that he is probably going to be the short down, third down back, which I think is great because, I mean, the way that guy runs, he runs angry, and he will get you those one or two yards just based off his anger. Um, Travion Henderson being the home run threat. And then we have this, this new cat man named Evan Pryor, who kind of made himself known in the spring game. And Evan Pryor has put in a ton of work and Tony Alford said the top three guys have been in the program for over a year now. I ask my guys to be pros about the way they approach their business, which includes the way they go to meetings, walkthroughs and practice. He goes, I love the room I got. No kidding. I mean, who, what, what, what running backs coach wouldn't love that room, man? And the only question is, is how much are we going to see of Evan Pryor? And I'm telling you guys, I'm thinking we're going to see more of Evan Pryor than what we realize. I think they're going to have a, uh, some plays for him, maybe some jet sweeps, maybe some pop passes. Um, and after maybe the, the, the first two or three uh, offensive possessions, Evan Pryor comes in on first down and just kind of really shakes things up. Uh, for the, that defense to think about because he just offers a little bit of a different skill set than what Henderson, who's got great straight line speed, and Mayan Williams, who's got that angry power. Evan Pryor, from side to side, he is shifty and he looks good. So I'm excited about that. Either one of you two want to respond to that before we move on to our last one here? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, I remember when we recruited Evan Pryor. Um, I remember vividly how well he caught passes and ran routes. So I could see him being kind of a a change of pace type back. You know, you like you mentioned, you got Henderson, who's really good with linear speed. Mayan Williams is just a powerful dude. You know, it, it, I like that. The only thing that that I kind of caution against is like everybody knows what their skill set is for the most part. You bring in Henderson, he's your home run threat. You can look for a lot of zone reads. Mayan Williams comes in the game, oh, they're going to run a power play. Evan Pryor comes in, oh, look for the pass. You know what I mean? So it's just, and, and I'm sh- quite sure that the coaching staff knows this. So they're, you know what I mean? They're going to do what they can to disguise it. And the other half of this is, we don't care, can you stop us? Right. You know, that's the other side to this. So, because like Woody Hayes didn't care. Everybody knew Archie was getting the ball. Can you stop it? Can you stop Pete Johnson? No? Okay, we're going to win. And it's yeah. I, I feel like a, a that kind of that in that vein with this. Yeah. Urban well, Meyer was no, Urban Meyer was no different. I mean, third and two, fourth and two, you all know who was running the ball when JT was running at quarterback. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> but you know, a nice thing too is these guys, yes, we know their primary skill set, but at the same time, these guys have a little overlap, you know. Henderson can catch the ball. Uh, you know, Mayan Williams can bust off a big run. He's got a, he got a little bit of speed to him. And you know, Evan Pryor is just all over the place. He reminds me so much of Curtis Samuel. He really oh my does. gosh, he does. He That's does. a fact. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost like we've got Zeke Elliott, Curtis Samuel, and, and uh, Beanie Wells in the same backfield. You know. That's, you know what? I like that, Chris. That was that was nice because you're not wrong at all on that. I, I yeah, that's a great comparison. And you're right. All those guys, they do have an overlapping skill set in a lot of ways. You're 100 percent right. So I don't know. I, I, I don't really feel bad for the defenses, but I feel bad for the defenses, you know. 
Uh, Aaron, you got anything else from uh, Spring Ball that jumped out at you? No, no. I was actually going to just talk a little bit about Evan Pryor, but we just did that, and uh, that's that's all I got. Chris? Hey, one thing we can say, Eric, and we're keeping our fingers crossed here, is Ohio State definitely is coming into spring ball, or actually fall ball, healthy. Yes. For the most part, we are healthy. Yes, uh, Mitchell Melton is, is down with the ACL, but he got injured in the spring game. But you know what? We're seeing Cameron Babb back on the field practice, and we're seeing – uh, Julian Fleming looking better and, and being injury free right now. We're, Cody we've got Simon. Ransom, you know, yeah. Ransom's back out there in safety drills. So, yeah, we we that's going to help a lot with that depth. Yeah, Cody Simon, Tyler Friday, yes, uh, Gene Baptiste, all these guys are healthy right now. So, and that could be scary for a lot of people. All right, one more thing I've got. Uh, how about the talk of the true? Freshman five-star linebacker C.J. Hicks. Uh, Ryan Day said it almost looks like he's one of the guys that's been around for a while. You don't think of him as a freshman anymore. At least we don't. (laughs) I love that quote. If there's going to be one freshman that makes an impact this year, I think it's C.J. Hicks. Do you agree or disagree, Aaron? I agree. And and I'll tell you, when I was in Ohio around Christmas time, Eric, and we were at your house watching film – you know, I had some questions about him. If I'm not mistaken, it was him, and I'm I'm glad to be wrong. <laughs> I am certainly glad to be wrong because we need that type of play. Yeah. Chris, what do you think, man? Well, I'll tell you, I definitely think he is the most likely to have an impact this season without a doubt. But you know what? There was another true freshman that did get a little bit of action on special teams this uh, the, the first couple of days of practice, and that was Caleb Brown getting in there, returning some punts, maybe uh, – Maybe we're not going to see Smith and Jigba or, or Martinez or or even, uh, you know, at Buka back there returning punts as much. Maybe we're wanting to keep these guys fresh and healthy. Maybe Caleb Brown gets in there a little bit on the special teams as well. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Brown is the one who is returning punts, but I do think Emeka Buka is the one returning kickoffs. Yes. I still think that that is that is probably what they're going to be looking for. All right, let's move on from spring ball. We will we will revisit uh, the second week of fall ball, not spring ball. Sorry, fall ball, uh, fall camp next week. But let's talk a little bit now about let's have them play a little game. It's been a while since we've done this. We're going to play true or false. I'm going to make a statement. Well, of course, we, I had had you guys make statements as well, but. I'll start it off here. I'll ask I'll ask a true or false question. You have to answer with true or false and why. One for Ohio State, one from the Big Ten, and one from college football in general. Let's start with uh, the Buckeyes first. And I'll uh, let Chris, I'll let you answer this one first. True or false, Ohio State's season opening game against Notre Dame is the most anticipated season opener for Ohio State since 2015 against Virginia Tech on the road? Oh, I think it absolutely is. Uh, First of all, you've got the obvious links between Ohio State and Notre Dame within the coaching staff. Uh, You know, Marcus Freeman came out there. He gave us some bulletin board material right off the bat. Uh, you, You know, and I mean, just the proximity, the fact that we're trying to get Notre Dame into the Big Ten, so many things are rolling into this. And then just the fan bases. I mean, these are two tremendous fan bases and two tremendous programs with 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 great history. And 
you know what? It's been a while since Notre Dame's won one, so they're a little bit hungry. They're wanting to prove that they're worthy of being in that CFP talk. And, you know, obviously we're trying to get back to that uh, national championship game. So, yeah, I think it's it's huge. All right, same question for you, Aaron. True or false? This is the uh, most anticipated season opening for opener for the Buckeyes since 2015. I believe that is true because it's like Chris said, you know, the the drama surrounding it, the fact that Marcus Freeman's, you know, he went to Ohio State, played here, uh, you know, Laurinaitis going out there to coach for him instead of like trying in Columbus. You know, we don't really know the backstory there. I should say that actually, you know as preface, but the, the whole storyline surrounding this game is just, you know, there's a recruit, recruiting battle back and forth for a few players there, here and there. Um, I think that that's absolutely true. All right. Here's my uh, college question here. Chris, you're up first. Okay. This is for the big 10. Sorry, not college, the uh, big 10, Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state, Michigan state, and Maryland would all win the Big Ten West if they played in the other division, true or false? I'm going to say false, and let me preface it with this. I think that most of those teams could do it right now. I question Penn State's ability to really run the football, and in the West, that is the bread and butter. I don't know that they could run the football in the West. Mm, good answer. Didn't anticipate that. Very nice. Aaron, true or false? Buckeyes, Sparty, the Loserines, the Nittany Lions, and the Terps would all win the Big Ten West if they were over there. Yeah, I agree with Chris. I think that's false. Um, I got a lot of faith that Ohio State could do it. I'm just not so sure on Sparty. Um, I, I could see that team up north probably falling to Iowa. You know, just it happens fluke. We've lost to Purdue before. Uh, we've lost to Iowa before in years that we really shouldn't have. Um, in Maryland, I have less confidence in. Uh, they're just one of those surprise teams in the East, and that just doesn't give me much confidence that they would just run through the West. So I think that's false. All right, Chris. True or false, Utah is the best team west of the Mississippi River currently. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I know, take I take your I take your hesitation that this is a good question here. This is an excellent question. You know what? I'm I'm gonna say this until I see it out of USC. I'm nah. You know what? No, I'm I'm gonna take it back. I think you'll see Texas A&M be better this year. Oh, don't forget However, about outside of that. Well, I mean, they bought themselves an all-star team, so, you know. Well, you've got A&M, you've got the Longhorns, you've got Oklahoma, you've got Baylor. I don't have conversation anymore. What's that? What have they done lately? What have they done since Vince Young was there? Texas? Yeah. N- nothing, but don't they have the uh, bleach blonde mullet wonder there now? Well, yeah, they play- yeah, absolutely, they- but you know what? That, that means nothing until he gets out there and proves something. True. That's just like I was going to say. You've got USC out there, and, and Lincoln Riley's rebuilding that program. But until they do something on the field, right now, I would I would say Utah is better than them. Okay, okay, okay. Aaron, true or false? Uh, I think it's false. I think Texas A&M is better. I think Oklahoma probably is better. And looking at the roster, I think that Utah is probably going to fall to USC. 
I that's and I and I understand where Chris is coming from, um, and I I don't disagree because uh, it's it is one of those things. Well, we haven't seen them on the field yet. You know, they do have a good roster, but I I just looking at the transfers and what those guys have done and Lincoln Riley's offense and stuff. I I think USC is better right now. Okay, Aaron, how about you jump on uh, Chris and I with uh, your true or false questions? Go for it. Gotcha. Okay, so true or false? Without C.J. Stroud, Ohio State is a nine-win football team. Oh, man. Who do you want to answer first? Well, I was going to say, Chris, you can go ahead and answer that one first. So without C.J. Stroud, they're a nine-win football team? Yep. Yeah. Is it nine wins minimum or just a flat nine? Just a flat nine with this year's schedule. You know what? I'm going to say false because I think they could win 10 without it. You think so? I I do think there is a couple games where we absolutely have to have him. But I think we we could win 10 with McCord or Brown. Okay. Uh, I I say false as well and and it's it's McCord. Um he's having a very very good off season. Now we know he's not going to supplant CJ Stroud. That's not even the question. But when given the question it, to Ryan Day, how confident are you in your backups? He right away talked about how happy he was that Kyle McCord had a tremendous off season. I think I think Kyle McCord is got he's got a little bit of a uh, dude factor about him that we might not know about. I mean, we all we all we remember is the the first game ever as a true freshman against Akron. Right. Yeah. But what if the I mean, what let's just hypothetically say here he because we're going to see him this year. We're going to see him probably against Arkansas State. We're going to see him against Toledo in big time action. We're probably going to see him against Rutgers, maybe Indiana, Northwestern, definitely in the second halves of these football games. I'm I'm getting a, a, a feedback from the coaching staff that that McCord's got some dude in him, which is important because he's going to have to win that job next year. So I'm going to say false. I think they at least get 10, if not 11, because the okay. roster is that good. And and I think the defense, Aaron, is going to be, as the season progresses, is going to get better and better and better. Okay, that's kind of what I was – I was kind of wondering if anybody was going to bring up the defense and, and if whether or not they'd be a factor in, in any of this. So let me throw a caveat. So you guys think we'd be a 10 or 11 win team without him. Who do we lose to? I would say right off the bat, there, there's there's two games that scare me. Um, by the end of the season, depending on you know when when McCord comes in, I'm not I'm, I'm not terrified of that team up north. I think there's going to be a huge chip on our shoulder for that game. But let me give you obviously the first one of the year, Notre Dame. If something were to happen to C.J. Stroud early in that game, that that's that's a pressure situation right there for a young man who only has one start under his belt. And the other game that gives me caution is at State College, Pennsylvania against Penn State. You know how that crowd is. That, yeah. could, that could really that could really get into a young man's head. And then the other one, Aaron, Iowa. Don't sleep on this at Maryland. 
You're going to have to put up some big-time numbers against that offense. That is the second-best offense in the Big Ten this this year. Mark it down. I'll tell you, for me, I I think Iowa's a concern because even though they don't do a lot offensively, if we're struggling on offense, that's a very opportunistic defense. Indeed. They they get a lot of turnovers and they do something with it when they you know when they get it. So I mean that that could be a scary one as well if you don't have CJ Stroud. That's a fact. Okay, so my Big Ten, true or false? True or false? Considering that NBC is working on a deal with the Big Ten, Notre Dame will join the conference within the next three years. Go ahead, Chris. True. true? That's absolutely true. Uh, that's something we you know we've all been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, Aaron. And I, I think that everything we're hearing is leading to that. One way or the other, Notre Dame's going to have to make a move, and it's just the right move. Everything's lining up um, to to bring Notre Dame into the Big Ten. I'm going to say true, and let me give you the newest rumor: NBC's about ready to fork over a ton of money to the Big Ten to get a weekly Saturday night. Big Ten highlight game every single week, which will include Notre Dame in that deal, meaning about every other week, you're probably going to get the Fighting Irish in primetime and or a Big Ten football game in primetime to go up against ESPN and ABC every single week. I did not know that. That's that's pretty cool. I like that. That is why you have not heard the announcement yet, because Fox and NBC are both working really hard behind the scenes to make the Big Ten premiere at noon and seven o'clock every single week. Beautiful. I hope it happens. Okay, so the next one, my, my college football. True or false. Within 15 years. The NCAA will cease to exist because of super conferences. True or false, Chris? You, you know, I think it's going to ultimately come to that. You, you know, and I think it is moving towards sooner rather than later. So I'm going to give you a true on that, one, Aaron. Okay. Eric? Well, let me say this. Is this just for football? Or is this mm. all college sports? Well, football's the money maker, so I mean, it, it, did USC and UCLA come to the Big Ten just for football, or is it all sports? It's all sports. Well, okay, then let's go with all sports. Then false. And I, I will say this though: can I add a can I add an asterisk to that false? Absolutely. It, it'll be because the NCAA will will allow college football to adopt a commissioner. Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the NCAA, as it is, goes away. I, I think that something else will stand up, and whether that's a commissioner or or something else similar to the NCAA that's not quite so messed up, I don't know. But I do think that the NCAA disappears. But a commissioner certainly makes sense, given super conferences. Right. Somebody, somebody has to reel that in. Yeah, like can't just, it can't just be the, you know, the way things are right now with uh, the NIL stuff. Like that's going to get reeled in at some point as well. But who knows? So let me give you, let me give you another prediction for you. I think 
that the 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 first ever commissioner of the newly formed NCAA CFP committee, whatever, will Gene be. Smith. What's that? Gene Smith. No, 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 it won't be Gene Smith. It'll be somebody who works for the NFL Players Union Association. Huh. Which which will how they will tie it together. That's an that's, interesting prediction that's, right that's, there. Yeah. That's that's very interesting. That's intriguing. It's like a Troy Vincent jumps back into the college game and does something like that. I, I mean, I could you could be like J.C. Treader or yeah. Demar Smith. You know, someone someone who's got some some you know some experience and some clout behind him at, at fighting for the for the um, for the players in the NFL who has that relationship with them who can be trusted on an executive level. I, I, I just think that that makes perfect sense for them to go that route. So, so is that, do you think that leads to unionization then? To a degree, it'll be, it'll be a soft union. There'll be certain things about it. Like for instance, I think like um, if a player gets hurt, uh, the, all universities will have to, you know, flip the bill for that person's medical expenses. Sometimes they, some schools don't have to do that. Some, I mean, they don't, actually no schools have to do that. They choose to do that for their players. So, I mean, things like that are going to change. I also think that there's a very real possibility you see three divisions within Division One football. I could see that happening because the New Mexico states of the world aren't going right. to keep up with the Alabama and Ohio states of the world. Right. So, like, for instance, I think you could see a 16-team playoff in both your power fives, and then you'll see a 16 playoff in your lower fives or weaker fives, whatever you want to call them, like your Mac schools, uh, the Mountain West schools. Those guys will have one, and then your Division One AA or whatever they call themselves now, like your Youngstown States and those schools, which are Division One schools. They're just not considered Division One football schools. They'll and they already have a tournament, so I think that is very real possibility. I like it. All right, Chris, your turn. True or false, man. Hit us up. All right. True or false. By the end of this season, Ohio State's defense will be ranked in the top 20. Who you want to go first? Uh, Aaron, hit me with it. I'll go true. I think we got the pieces. We got a lot of experience, particularly along the defensive line. We have a nice rotation of of older guys, younger guys, uh, new coaching, new scheming. Um, I think that is absolutely true. All right, Eric. True. I I have a lot of faith in in the, what the, what we're seeing. I don't think Ryan Day threw out top ten without believing he's going to get close to that. Okay. Big Ten question: The Big Ten West will be won by a team with three losses in conference this season. Ooh. Aaron. You got me having oh. to look up what my predictions are here. <laughs> Shoot. Three, lo- three three losses in conference or just three losses in general? Three losses in conference. Jeez. I I, I think that's false. Um I think uh I think Wisconsin or Iowa, maybe even Nebraska, given the offseason that they've kind of had here. Um, 
I could see two losses. I, I think three's pushing it though. In conference. Derek? False. I think it's two, and I'll th- I'll let you guys know who I think it is here later on. Well, that, that kind of tells me a little bit. Well, as we all know, I picked uh, Nebraska to be a dark horse in there. But anyhow. Okay, and then nationally, this will be Nick Saban's last year coaching if he loses the national title. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm going to go false. I don't – this is all he's got. You know, I, I don't know. He's He's made a ton of money. He's he's still hot on the recruiting trail. Like I I don't think that even a loss in the title game is going to make him go away as much as we want that to happen. <laughs> um, I I just I think that's false. I think he's still got five years at least. Eric, false. Nick Satan has been around since Adam and Eve. Okay, now now I got a bonus question for you guys. Here we go. It kind of ties in all three. Ohio State has three Heisman finalists this year, and none of them win the Heisman. Mm. Aaron? That's tough. And, you know, my initial question for Ohio State, true or false question, I was going to ask you guys, but I changed my mind because I thought the one I asked was better. I was going to say we have two Heisman finalists, and it would be Stroud, JSN, or Henderson – Two of them are going to New York. I think that this is C.J. Stroud's year. So I think that, to to answer you, I think it's false. I think that as long as he's healthy and things happen the way that we think they're going to happen, I think Stroud wins the Heisman this year. Eric? I'm going to say true. I think all three make it, and I think they still vote from one another. Now, it was obvious at Big Ten Media Days that Ohio State was 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 putting C.J. Stroud on the pedestal. So we'll see if they kind of market that. But I don't even think C.J. Stroud gets the most votes out of the three. I'm actually going to say Trevion Henderson does. Well, you know, I've I've been saying it all along. I agree with Aaron, but you know what? We'll just have to wait and see what happens, I guess. Yep. Good question. All right, guys, it's time to do our let's do some position rankings. Now, we haven't done this since last year, and uh, I changed it up a little bit, guys. So uh, we're, we're doing seven different positions. We're doing the O-line. We're doing receivers and tight ends. I threw them together. Quarterbacks and running backs. I threw them together. So all the backs. Defensive line, linebackers, defensive backs, so safeties and corners. And then I threw special teams in there because I think Ohio State's got a pretty good special teams unit this year. So we will start at number seven, work our way down to number one. Chris, I will let you go first. Who is the seventh or last place ranked uh, position group for the Buckeyes heading into 2022? Well, you know, even though they are very good, Eric, actually, no, I'm going to change that. I've got it right in front of me and I'm going to change it. I think right now, because of the questions still surrounding, I'm going to go with the linebackers. They may not be last in order of importance, but right now, I mean, I think we know Steel Chambers has got one spot locked up. I think we're probably looking at Eichenberg for the other. But, you know, we, we haven't seen it on the field yet consistently out of our linebackers. So I'm going to go with the linebackers at seven. Aaron? I said the same thing. We just don't have the consistency. Um 
you know, we, we know Steel Chambers is, is, like Chris said, he's got one spot locked up, and we know he's going to be at least, he's going to be pretty good, but it's the other spot that we, we just, we don't know about yet. And we had a good Rose Bowl out of, out of a couple guys at that role, but is that going to be consistent, or are we just going to get, like, a, the Cardell Jones effect where he was a murderer for three games, and then we just aren't sure week to week what we're getting, you know? Right. Uh. Clean sweep linebackers, obviously. So I'm not going to dive into what you guys just said. I think linebackers obviously has the biggest question mark. Number six, Chris. Number six, I'm I'm going to go with the special teams. They're good. Uh, you know, no doubt about it. I think Ruggles is lights out. Uh, you know, we've got a good punter. We've got solid kick returners. Possibly a, a freshman though coming in as a punt returner could lead to some issues there. Um, you know, I don't think Day puts him in there uh, in, in the event that we have questions surrounding him. But, you know, you never know what's going to happen with a freshman back there. So even though they're pretty good, I'm going to go with special teams at six. Uh, I went with defensive backs at six and we got some pretty good ones, you know, but I, we still need some work. We're not sure what's going to happen at safety. I know Tanner McAllister's coming in, and he's he's a great leader. He's He's been in the system for a while, but how's he going to react to Big Ten? Big 12's different. You know, it, it's just – it's he's dealing with a, a, a different level of athletes in this conference compared to the Big 12 where really his only threat was like Oklahoma, you know, and, and sometimes Baylor, sometimes Texas. So I, I think that the DBs are going to be number six on this list for me. Well, we all had a different number. Very interesting. I went with offensive line. Now, we've got Paris Johnson kicking out the left tackle, and he's a five-star offensive lineman, and he's going to be anchoring this line. But he played guard all last year. So this is, I mean, this is going to be his first experience at tackle other than what was in the Rose Bowl. You've got Luke Whipler returning at center. That's solid. Dewan Jones returning at right tackle. That's solid. But then you have a five-star for the first time at guard and Donovan Jackson and, of course, Matthew Jones, the experienced senior, finally getting a chance to start at, at guard. I like it. I think there's a ton of potential there, but underline on the word potential. They haven't done it yet. And then number two, I think there's some serious depth issues at offensive line. So can we sustain an injury to, in, in two and still be effective? That's the question, I think. So I put them at number six. All right, on to number five, Chris. I'm not going to regurgitate it all, Eric, but I've got the offensive line at number five. I love what we've seen from the coaching coming in so far on the line. I really like uh, the fact that we've got Matthew Jones back out there. I mean, we all saw how when he was in the game, our run game improved last season. So I, I was a little higher on him than what you were, but there are still some questions specifically with that. I got him at five. Number five for me was special teams, and it's just for me, it's it is vital. If we learn anything from Jim Trestle's years here, special teams is incredibly important. I feel like we do have it locked down for the most part as far as scoring points goes in the place of the, you know, the place kicker. I think we're pretty solid there. Um, I don't remember having any sort of like coverage issues, at least not till we played Utah. Um but I, I, I just I feel like they're number five right now for me. Uh, the return game, as Chris mentioned earlier, I think that's, you know, there's some some question marks there. Um, but 
because because we don't know what we're going to get out of the punt return unit. But I, I just for me, number five is special teams. I'm with you, Aaron. Number five for me, special teams. You got the punter from down under, Jesse Mirko. I always like an Aussie punter. You got Noah Ruggles, Mr. Automatic. And I think we are going to see some fireworks in in the return game this year. So, yeah. I And we've always been kind of aggressive when it comes to special teams, especially on kickoffs. So, I, I got them at number five. I think they're – I think – they get looked over. I mean, if this was Jim Trestle's team, this would probably be the number two unit on here, <laughs> <laughs> For you sure. know, but, but this is, this isn't Jim Trestle ball. And so, uh, you know, like this might be as high up as you could possibly get as a special teams unit in all honesty. So I, I don't think there's anything to be ashamed of as the number five unit on the team. Chris, number four. Well, I had a hard time between three and four, Eric. Uh, with four, I went with the defensive line. Um, and a lot of that was the fact that I thought they were pretty solid at times last year, but it, you know, we just haven't seen the consistent pressure that we're used to seeing from a defensive line. We've got a lot of young talent there. I think, uh, we're going to see a lot bigger role for, uh, sophomores, you know, Sawyer, Tumuau, um, as well as, uh, Tyreek Williams. And I think we're going to see a lot of Mike Hall this season as well. I think we've got a good rotation. I just need to see it turned into statistics. Right now, I've got them at four. Uh, number four for me was the offensive line, and it's a, it's a lot of what you said, Eric. It's it's mainly the depth. If the starters are all healthy and they execute right, this is an incredible group of talent right here. But if one of them goes down, I'm not so sure it's the same. It, it, you know, it just depends on how well they gel. As usual, uh, we've talked about that in past seasons and episodes at length. Um, but for me, number four is the offensive line just because of the questionable depth issues. Number four for me, and, and four and three are, are – I think I'm in the same area that Chris is. I just might have them flip-flopped here. It's defensive backfield for me. I think there's a ton of – here's that word again – potential. Denzel Burke – Cameron Brown, Tanner McAllister, Ronnie Hickman, Josh Proctor. Um, you got one guy returning from injury. You got another guy coming back or coming to the team from a different team. You have another one who's been in and out uh, because of his health in Brown. Uh, and you and you have two guys that you could pretty much highlight as being solid who were the best performers on the team last year in a lot of ways in Burke and Hickman. Now, beyond that, I think there is a, some really potential, like some good depth here. Court Williams, Cameron Brown, Jordan Hancock, Jacqueline Johnson, Jair Brown. Let's not forget about the five-star uh, Sonny Styles and Lathan Ransom returning from injury. You got Kai Stokes, who's a big-time uh, get. I mean, there's a lot of, of potential here. And then let's not forget Jake Seibert, man, at cornerback. Stop. <laughs> I was going to say that Eric. Does that go? Does that get it? Does that does that add to the special teams? Maybe we should bump the special teams up when you got playing quarterback. I'd look for him to make some vicious hits if he ever like gets in the game and does kickoff responsibilities. Like, 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 Dicker, like remember Dicker the kicker? Yeah. That dude was <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Number three, Eric, you called it. I got the defensive backs. Uh, you know, I love the potential there. Also. I do think we have seen a little more of the actual on-field production when you talk about Hickman, when you talk about Burke. But as well, when, when Brown is healthy and on the field, I don't know if you realize this or not, but the combination of Brown and Burke did not give up a touchdown pass of over 20 yards at all last season. Nice. 
I, I really like what we've got back here in the defensive backfield. I love what the new coaches are bringing to this. Uh, I've got them at three. Number three for me is the defensive line, and it's because we have such a strong rotation. We got you know guys coming back from injury, uh, JTT, uh, Tyleek Williams, you know all the all the guys that you all mentioned earlier. I just I I couldn't rank them lower than that. You consider the coaching uh, that they're going to be getting as they always do. It's always been top notch. I just I feel like another year of experience for guys that were here last year, got experience, uh, new guys coming in um, big time names. Like I said, JTT uh, Sawyer. Those guys, they got some playing time last year in some good situations. Um, they're coming in with a whole other offseason of improvement. I, I had to put them at three. Yep, I'm right there with you. Not going to regurgitate any of that, Aaron. I got them at three as well. Chris, number two. We don't have a number two, Eric. We've got a one and a 1A. Yes, we do. You're right. Because I'll, yeah. I'll tell you what, and had we not had – the running backs and quarterbacks together, it might have altered my call here. Uh, but I've got the uh, wide receivers and tight ends at 1A. Now, Heartline has assembled and developed the country's deepest and most talented receiving room in the country. I don't care what Desmond Howard may think. You know, he's produced two top 12 picks in this year's draft. He's likely going to have the number one receiver in the country in, in Jackson Smith and Jigma. You got but you do have young, uh, some youngsters there in Marvin Harrison Jr., who did have a bit of a coming out party in the Rose Bowl. And he is poised, I think, to be possibly the next great wide receiver. But you know what? Don't sleep on Julian Fleming either. If he's healthy and if opportunity and health beat up with potential all at once, he could be dynamic. He really could. Um, and he has, as you mentioned earlier, had his best camp since coming to Ohio State. You know, we've got Ibuka in the mix. Bab is is actually healthy for a change. So it's a talented and deep room. You know, you got Jade Ballard, Caleb Brown, Keon Graves. I mean, it just keeps going and going and going. This room has more stars than the Oscars, Eric. <laughs> it really does. But I got to give them the 1A. Just because of the youth and a little bit of inexperience once you get outside of Smith and Jigba. Yeah, I I agree with Chris on that one. I would I would definitely put them in there as well because we we group together the wide receivers and the tight ends, and we just don't utilize the tight ends enough for me to warrant putting them above the quarterback running back pairing. So as as deep as the receiver room is, and as talented as they are, I I feel like Chris is right. I, I I've got them at number two or one A as we're labeling it. I got them flip-flopped with you guys. I still think the wide receivers are number one. I just I, I can't ignore all the five stars, you know. Um, I think you're, you guys are right. I mean, it's it's you flip a coin, right? I mean, Pretty in all much. honesty, wh- whichever game. I, I just here's the one thing that I could I could argue on why I think wide receivers take the cake over quarterbacks and running backs, and that is the fact that Ryan Day. Love he falls in love with throwing the football so much sometimes that the running backs get a little bit ignored. Imagine how many yards Trey Sermon would have had in the Big Ten championship game if he would have given the dang ball in the first half. He might well, he still might be scoring. He he might have. 
he it was almost like you had to pry the passing game from his cold dead hands to get the hand the football off and i think he learned from that but will he will he get into certain games where he realizes i don't have to throw the football to win this thing today easily i just have to hand the ball off i don't know if that's in his dna or not so that that alone is why i say the backs are at number 2 and the receivers are at number 1 but that's my argument. Uh, do you guys either one want to touch on your number one? Well, sure. I'll throw it out there. I mean, I have to have a reason for why I bumped him up a little bit. Uh, C.J. Stroud, obviously returning from a Heisman finalist season. He had 71.9% completion rating, over 4,400 yards, 44 touchdowns, only six interceptions. Behind him, you've got a former five-star in Kyle McCord. As you said, you know, he's had a great offseason. Completed 65.8% of his passes last year, 416 yards, two TDs, two interceptions. You got Devin Brown waiting in the wings. You know, the, it's just, it's a really, really great quarterback room. But you know what? CJ Stroud isn't the only Heisman hopeful in this mix because you've also got Travion Henderson, who's just a legitimate beast. You know, as a freshman, goes for 1248, 15 touchdowns, 6.8 per carry. He also had 27 catches for 312 yards and four touchdowns. You know, this kid's poised to own the record books as well. I mean, behind Henderson, you got the bowling ball that is Mayan Williams. You've got a young kid in Evan Pryor. We just can't wait to see what's going to happen with him. I mean, I think there is just so much talent in there that is equal to that receiver room. And honestly, just the fact that you've got a little more experience in that room Makes me feel a little bit more comfortable. Aaron, you want to touch on number, your number one? Uh, everything that Chris said, and I would just add that I, I genuinely believe that any of those six guys that he named off, Devin Brown, McCord, Stroud, any of those guys, the running backs, um, I, I genuinely believe they could probably transfer anywhere in the country and start or get extremely solid playing time at a minimum. Right. Very good. Very good. All right. We're going to take uh, our commercial break. And when we come back, we're going to continue our two days with Indiana and Minnesota. The OHIO podcast is brought to you by Mastermind. Mastermind specializes in 360 degree high definition mobile video mapping, GIS integration, and traffic safety studies. Mastermind cares about traffic safety and keeping you safe on the roadway. Visit Mastermind at OnlineMastermind.com. Hello, everyone. This is Chris Wilds from the OHIO Podcast, and today we are previewing the Indiana Hoosiers. Tom Herman enters his sixth full season at the helm of the Indiana football team in 2022, and after finishing 8-5 in 2019 and an impressive 6-2 in 2020, his Hoosiers crashed back to earth in 2021, going 2-10 without a conference victory and narrowly avoiding defeat versus Western Kentucky in late September. The lone bright spot for the season being a 56-14 win over the Idaho Vandals. That being said, this was a team riddled by injury in 2021, and let's face it, they play in arguably the best division in one of the best conferences in all of college football. So if things go bad, they can go bad in a hurry, and that's exactly what happened to the Hoosiers last season. But as bad as that 2-10 record was, this team was actually in many games, including games against Cincinnati, Michigan State, and Maryland. 
However, the underwhelming 2021 season led to a mass exodus by players and coaches, and Indiana is going to have to hit that reset button rather quickly with five new assistant coaches, some key transfer players, and the highest-rated incoming class in school history. So the big question for Indiana fans this season, can the Hoosiers recapture that magic of 2019 and 2020 and return to relevance in the conference and get back into the bold picture? The Indiana University football team plays their home games at Memorial Stadium in Bloomington, Indiana, affectionately known to fans as The Rock. The current incarnation of Memorial Stadium opened October 8, 1960, and has a seating capacity of 52,626. The Hoosiers are entering their 124th season in college football. The team has an overall record of 475 wins, 673 losses, and 38 ties. That's a winning percentage of 414. Indiana has won two big championships during its time in college football, the first being in 1945 and the most recent being in 1967. Head coach Tom Allen took the reins at Indiana in the final game of the 2016 season, losing the Foster Farms Bowl 26-24 to Utah. Now entering his sixth full season at the helm as head coach, Allen, who spent his entire collegiate head coaching career with Indiana, has an all-time record of 26 wins, 32 losses, which is a winning percentage of 448. The overall record for the Hoosiers last year, well, the Hoosiers had little to celebrate last year, going 2-10 on the season. They finished dead last in the Big Ten Conference with a record of 0-9, and were the only Big Ten team without a conference victory. Offensive rankings last year, well, in the Big Ten, Indiana scored 17.3 points per game, which was 13th in the conference. They had 116.3 rushing yards per game, which was 12th in the conference. They passed for 175.5 yards per game, 10th in the Big Ten, and they were dead last in the conference with only 291.8 yards per game of total offense. Defensively, it was just as dismal. The Hoosiers averaged giving up 33.3 yards per or points per game, which was dead last in the Big Ten. They gave up 148.7 rushing yards per game, which was 8th, 235.7 passing yards per game, which was 11th, and a total of 384.3 yards per game, which was 10th overall in the conference. Indiana football has a dismal 3-10 bowl record all-time, a winning percentage of only 231. The Hoosiers last appeared in the bowl game following the 2020 season when they lost 26-20 to Ole Miss in the Outback Bowl. Their last bowl win came in a 24 0 route of Baylor in the 1991 Copper Bowl. Despite the Hoosiers' success on the hardwood, having five national championships in basketball, Indiana has never won a national championship in football. Looking back at last year's team, some of the key losses quarterback Michael Penix Jr., the former Indiana quarterback, is now playing football at Washington after transferring in this offseason. While he was injured a majority of last season, playing in only five games, completing 87 passes for 162 yards, 87 out of 162 passes for 939 yards and four touchdowns, Penix was the key in the success in 2019 and 2020, where he completed 68% and 54% of his passes respectively and had a respectable TD to interception ratio each season. Penix provided dynamic big playability and stability at the quarterback position when playing. And obviously the chaos at the quarterback situation last year definitely factored in the team's 2-10 record. Wide receiver Ty Freifogel, always a sure-handed and dependable receiver, but as a senior in 2020, he truly exploded, becoming the Hoosiers' major big play threat. 
In 2020, he made 37, point, 37 catches for 721 yards. That's 19.5 yards per catch and had seven touchdowns. He returned for 2021, where he posted the rather pedestrian numbers of 46 catches, 512 yards, and one touchdown as part of the Hoosiers' depleted and very anemic offense. Fryfogel went undrafted in 2022, but has signed with the Dallas Cowboys. Defense flea linebacker Micah McFadden was the leader for the Indiana defense over four seasons as a Hoosier. McFadden accumulated 216 tackles, 149 of those being solo, 14 sacks, four interceptions. He also had four passes defense, two forced fumbles, and a fumble recovery. He's been a consistent force over the last three seasons for the Indiana defense and leaves a big hole to fill. As far as returning returning starters coming back for this season, let's talk about cornerback Taiwan Mullen. One of the better defensive backs in the conference, senior Taiwan Mullen is returning from an injury short in 2021 season where he had only four starts with 19 tackles. In 2020, however, Mullen became the first Indiana quarterback to earn first-team All-American honors. He is the team's active leader in takeaways with eight career takeaways, three of those being interceptions, three forced fumbles, and two fumble recoveries. If he returns to form, he will likely be a key component in an Indiana secondary, which very well could be this team's strength. Also back is going to be cornerback Jalen Williams. The six foot, 185-pound senior cornerback is the team's active leader in interceptions with six. In 2021, he had 41 tackles, including 28 solo tackles and 11 pass breakups, which was best in the Big Ten and 23rd in the nation. Williams is a big-time player who had three of his best career games last season versus superior opponents in Penn State, where he had six tackles and a pass breakup. Ohio State, where he made a career-high seven seven tackles. And Michigan, where he had a career-high three pass breakups. Rounding out our top returners is going to be quarterback Jack Tuttle. The 6'4", 212-pound redshirt senior quarterback took over the starting duties after Michael Penix Jr. went down for the season. He appeared in six total games, starting two, both against two top ten opponents in Michigan State and Ohio State. Tuttle completed 45 of 87 passes. That's 51.7% completion rating for 423 yards with two touchdowns at five interceptions. Tuttle has the potential to be a viable starter. However, he will be operating in a pretty revamped Indiana offense in 2022 and will need to be a stabilizing leader if Indiana will have any success this season. Indiana has a quartet of four-star prospects who all could see some playing time this season. Linebacker, edge rusher Deshaun McCullough, cornerback Trayvell Maltman, wide receiver Omar Cooper, and defensive lineman Nick James. While I feel Mullen and Cooper will likely see limited time and could ultimately be redshirted, this defense needs help and is somewhat thin in certain spots. McCullough and James should both be in no worse than the three deep coming into the season and should see significant playing time. So let's take a real quick look at those two guys. Linebacker Deshaun McCullough is a four-star edge rusher. He was ranked as the 75th best player nationally in the 2022 recruiting cycle. And he is the highest player ever signed by Indiana, according to 247 Sports Composite. The Indiana native was named the 2020 Max Preps High School Player of the Year for his standout play. He had 55 tackles, three sacks as a high school senior in 2021. The ninth best linebacker in the country is much more versatile than some may think. He lines up in multiple positions and has strength and speed and can hold his own in any spot along the defensive front seven. 
He has great downhill explosiveness, tracks down anyone in the open field, and has the power to wrap and get solo tackles. McCullough can wreak havoc on a defense and not only stop the run, but he can put pressure on the opposing quarterback. So what about Nick James? The 6'2", 295-pound, four-star prospect from IMG Academy in Brayton, Florida is big, flexible, quick, and actually pretty nimble for a big guy. He's equally adept at plugging gaps to stop the run and getting home to the quarterback. He has a great explosive first step, gets upfield well, and he's excellent at shedding blocks. He's in a group position, which is pretty thin, but has a lot of experience. This may limit his actions slightly, but should also help in his development. It's going to be really tough for Tom Allen to keep these two extremely talented players off the field. And with the defensive backs this team has, this should provide a lot of opportunity for sacks or takeaways, both options being positive for a team looking for a new defensive identity. So let's finish up the following statements about the upcoming season. This season will be considered a success if Indiana finishes with a winning record and gets invited to a bowl game. The most critical games on the schedule? Well, coming off last season, every game is critical for this team. Playing in the Big Ten East, I think you automatically almost have to give them four losses before the schedule even gets started. They also travel to Nippert Stadium to play Luke Fickle's Cincinnati Bearcats this season. I think the opening weekend against Illinois is huge and sets the tone for the entire season. I also believe Rutgers on October 2nd and the home game against Purdue to close out the season could both be pretty pretty important as well. If Indiana could find a way to get three Big Ten wins with their best chances coming off Illinois, Nebraska, and Rutgers going into that final game, they would most likely have to beat Purdue to reach 500 and secure bowl eligibility. Can it happen? I honestly don't know, but it seems like a pretty risky bet. The threat level Indiana presents to Ohio State, I'm going to be generous and give them 20% here. The Hoosiers travel to Ohio State November 12th, and though I believe this is going to be a fairly solid defense at that point with a strong secondary and an improved pass rush, I just don't see them containing the offensive juggernaut that is the Ohio State Buckeyes. There's no way I see them having the potential to score with Ohio State, so I don't think things go well there. So my predictions for the upcoming season? Well, on September 2nd, the Hoosiers open with Illinois at home, and I see this being a loss for Indiana. They then play Idaho at Indiana, and I do see this being a win. They have a rematch versus Western Kentucky, also at home this season. I also see that as a win. On November, I'm sorry, September 24th, they travel to Cincinnati, This is going to be a loss for the Hoosiers. On the 1st of October, they play Nebraska. I also see this as a loss, as well as the October 8th game versus Michigan. Maryland and Rutgers, I view both of those games as losses as well. They then have a very tough stretch starting uh, November the 5th when they play Penn State. This is a loss. They are at Ohio State November the 12th. I also see this as a loss. They follow that up with a trip to Michigan State, which will be a loss. And finally, they close out the season with Purdue, which I also believe will be a loss. Ultimately, I can see this team making some improvements and having you know, a truly solid secondary. I just still think they're a year away from any kind of turnaround, though. I like Tom Allen as a coach, and I think he'll get things rolling a little more in the right direction again this coming season. However, I don't see anything major happening until next season when some of his uh, young talent actually gets a little bit of experience, some playing time, and when we see either Dexter Williams II or 
true freshman Brendan Soresby under center. I see Indiana repeating last season's performance going 2-10 overall, 0-9 in the Big Ten Conference. That has been our preview of the Indiana Hoosiers for the 2022 season. Thank you. And welcome back, and thank you, Chris, for that uh, preview of the Indiana Hoosiers. You know what's most annoying about Indiana, and I can still hear this in my mind, Aaron, is the first down <laughs> Hoosiers. Gosh, if you've ever had a chance to go to listen to an Indiana game, man, that announcer with his first down Hoosiers call is the most annoying thing. I mean, it's worse than going to a junior high game sometimes and hearing an announcer. Well, the, the candy stripe crap, I would just like to choke them with it, but it, it is what it is. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. All right, so Chris, thank you for that again. Um, your preview, we're, Aaron and I are going to respond here now to it. So I'm not going to lie. Usually I like to try to disagree with you, Chris, but so far we've been very similar on a lot, and today we're exact. I have Indiana with two wins all season. At home against Idaho and Western Kentucky in non-conference, I have them losing on the road at Cincinnati, and I have them going 0-9 in the Big Ten. I think Indiana is going to be fighting with Northwestern as one of the worst teams in all uh, all of the Big Ten, even below Illinois this year. And I think they might be the worst, in all honesty. They're definitely going to be the worst in the East because I think Rutgers is better than them as well. Aaron, your thoughts on the Hoosiers? Yeah, the roller coaster in that <laughs> in that program, where just in a matter of like three years, they have just fallen off. I it it boggles my mind sometimes, but I I can't disagree with you. I I don't see them beating Illinois. I, I think you're right. I think they beat Idaho, Western Kentucky, and then maybe, maybe they get lucky against Rutgers, but they're at Rutgers, so I just I don't see it. I don't see it. I think they're a two-win football team. They have just fallen so far off the map; it's insane. All right, uh, let's jump into the Minnesota preview provided by the Monk. Hello, this is Jason Monk coming back from the OHIO podcast. And today I'm going to give you a preview of the Minnesota Golden Gophers. They are coming off a pretty good season despite all the injuries that they had last year, most notably Mohamed Ibrahim. The Minnesota Golden Gophers home stadium is Huntington Bank Stadium. It opened in 2009. It's located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It holds 50,805 people with a record attendance of 54,147. The Golden Gophers overall record is 714 wins, 529 losses with 44 ties. That's a win percentage of 572. Their bowl record is 10 and 12 of a win percentage of .455. They do hold 18 conference titles, seven national titles, last one being in 1960. They have 34 All-Americans. They hold one division title, 
which I believe was in 2019, and they also have one Heisman Trophy winner, Bruce Boo Smith. Their head coach is P.J. Fleck. He has a record of 35 wins with 23 losses. That's a .603 win percentage. And his bowl record since he's been there is 4-2, which is a .667. In 2021, they posted a a 9-4 overall record, which was 30th in the country. They were 6-3 in the Big Ten, and they finished 2nd in the Big Ten West Division. They scored a total of 331 points on the season with an average of 25.5 per game. They scored a total of 40 touchdowns, and offensively, they had 4,681 total yards, 360.1 yards per game. Their passing attack had a combined 2,106 yards for 8.2 yards per play, and an average of 162 yards per game, which was 12th in the Big Ten. On the ground, they rushed for a team total of 2,575, with 4.3 yards per attempt, and averaged 198.1 rushing yards per game, and they were able to score 27 touchdowns on the ground. Defensively, they allowed 3,624 yards, which was 13th in the Big Ten, which they had a a pretty stout defense. They only gave up 278.8 yards per game, which was also 13th in the Big Ten. They gave up 1,268 yards rushing against them, 2,356 passing yards against them, and they only allowed 26 total touchdowns, which was 12th in the Big Ten. Now we'll go over their some of their key departures first with the draft minnesota had four players drafted this year edge rusher boy mafe he went in the second round 40th pick overall to the seattle seahawks he was a third team all-conference player he had 10 tackles for loss seven sacks which led the team in both categories Um, he had 34 total tackles and just nine games started. Next up is offensive tackle, Daniel Falele, a fourth round pick. He was pick 110, got picked up by the Baltimore Ravens. Coming out of high school, he was a four-star recruit and he only played that one season of organized football. Uh, He was first team all Big Ten and definitely a big mountain of a guy. Next up, we have defensive lineman Azizi Odomiwo. But he was a fifth round pick, pick 165 overall to the Minnesota Vikings. He was an honorable mention for all Big Ten. Um, he had 30 total tackles, four and a half tackles for loss, three of those were sacks. And that he did all that in just 13 starts. Um, Their last player to be drafted was tight end Cole Keft. Uh, He was a sixth-round pick, 218th to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They say he was one of the best blocking tight ends in all of college football. During the 2021 season, he had only seven receptions for 101 yards, one touchdown, but did have an average of 14.4 per attempt. 
Now some of the transfer guys that they had leave. Um, Curtis Dunlap, he was an interior offensive lineman. He transferred to Rutgers in 21 games played in his first three seasons. Uh, he was injury prone at the end of his time at Minnesota, but he was a transfer grade of 0.8600. Uh, next guy up is MJ Anderson. He was a defensive lineman. He transferred to Iowa State. Uh, he was a 0.8200 transfer ranking, six foot three, 276 pounds. He had seven total tackles, one sack, three solo, four assisted, but two pass deflections. And they lost quarterback Zach Anekstad. He transferred to Illinois State. Uh, his transfer rating was 0.8100. Standing at six foot three, 220 pounds, he passed for 1,277 yards, nine touchdowns, seven interceptions. That one kind of hurts them a little bit, and if anything happens to Tanner Boyd, or Tanner Morgan, I'm sorry, because Zach was one of the only other ones that actually had some playing time. Probably their biggest loss in the transfer portal is Marquise Irving, the running back. He transferred to Oregon. His transfer rating was a 0 0.9100. 5'10", 190 pounds. He had 133 rushing attempts for 699 yards, four touchdowns. Average of 5.3 per rush. <clears throat> he also tallied a total of 996 yards. They also lost in the portal their other good running back, Kai Thomas. Um, he transferred to Kansas. He had 100 plus yard games against West Virginia, Wisconsin, and Iowa. <clears throat> he was five foot 11, 205 pounds. He had 166 carries for 824 yards six touchdowns. Some of their key incoming transfer guys they got, um, Chuck Fialiga, uh, interior offensive lineman from the Mitten Kittens. He is six foot six, 330 pounds. When he was coming out of high school, he was the number 14 overall offensive tackle. Uh, he was at the Mitten Kittens for five seasons. He Played in 39 games, started 11. Next up, they have another highly touted uh, local Minnesota guy coming back from transferring from Notre Dame, Quinn Carroll. He is six foot six, 320 pounds. He is an athletic, aggressive, elite deep offensive lineman. He has great footwork. After that, you have Darnell Jeffries, a defensive lineman. Transferring from Clemson, he's six foot two, 295 pounds. He played in 29 games, uh, had a total of tackles of 22, one of those for loss and half a sack. But being a defensive player from the state of Georgia, I'm sure he'll do pretty good in the Big Ten. Um, their last big transfer pickup that they got was Shannon Bishop a cornerback from Western Kentucky. Um, he is five foot 10, 185 pounds. He had three interceptions, 43 total tackles, 
33 of those being solo, 10 assists, and he did have one touchdown. Now, some of their key returning players. You start with the quarterback, Tanner Morgan. Uh, he's, as far as their passing game goes, was 92.4% of the season production. Uh, he played in 13 games last year. He was 149 out of 250 attempts for a 59.6 completion. He had 2,044 yards, 8.2 yards per attempt. And again, I, he, his touchdowns to interceptions ratio was not that good at 10 touchdowns to 9 interceptions with a 134.3 quarterback rating. Running back, they have, <clears throat> of course, Mohamed Ibrahim. Um, he was, because the injury in the first game was only 5.5% of their rushing attack offense production on the year. But in that one game, he had 30 attempts for 163 yards with two touchdowns. Um, Trey Potts is their other big returning running back. He accounted for 22.4% of the production in five games. He had 112 attempts, 552 yards, six touchdowns. He also had two catches for 14 yards. Wide receivers, bringing back Chris Ottman Bell. He was 60% of the passing game that's returning. Uh, in 11 games, he had 36 receptions, 506 yards, a 14 yard per completion, six touchdowns. Now on the defensive side, of, they have D'Angelo Carter. In 10 games, he had 20 total tackles, 12 solo, eight assisted. Five of those tackles were for loss, one sack, and two pass deflections. And then defensive end, they have Thomas Rush. He also played, he played in 12 games. He had 31 total tackles, 19 of those were solo, 12 assisted. Seven and a half tackles for loss, five and a half sacks with one pass deflection. Last for the defensive returns that is a top key guy is Mariano Sori Marin. In 12 games, he had 85 total tackles, 45 of those were solo. He had five tackles for loss, one interception, three pass deflections, and two forced fumbles. Golden Gophers 22 recruiting class overall. Rank is 53rd, they have a composite rank of 49th. The class size is 18 commits. They have an average player ranking of 86.15. Um, I'm just gonna go over a, a few of them. Uh, their top guy is Trey Bixby. He's from Eden Prairie, Minnesota, um, six foot four. 250-pound defensive lineman, a four-star recruit with a ranking of 0.900. He was three, ranked 311th nationally, 40th at his position, and second in the state. Uh, next, you have Anthony Smith. He's from Shippingsburg area, which is in Shippingsburg, Pennsylvania. He is six foot six, 280 pounds defensive lineman. He's also a four-star with a with a ranking of 0.8996. He was 
ranked 326th nationally, 41st at his position, 100, or 11th in the state. Now to uh, go over the questions, the season will be considered a success if, I think it will be a success for them if they can get to nine wins and finally get to Indianapolis and represent the West Division. The most critical game on the Gophers schedule, I would have to say, comes November 5th when they play Nebraska. Um, and I say that because the Nebraska game is sandwiched right between two possible sleeper games, which they versed Rutgers the week before and then Northwestern the week after. So if they're not focused, they very well could get beat by Nebraska. The Golden Gophers threat level to Ohio State is 0% as Ohio State does not play them during the regular season. And I do not believe Minnesota will make it to the Big Ten championship game to play Ohio State. So I definitely stay with 0%. Now let's go over their schedule. Vegas odds have the Gophers at seven and a half wins on the year. September 1st, they're at home against New Mexico State. I picked that as a win. September 10th, they play at home against Western Illinois. I also have that as a win. On 9-17, they have a play at home against Colorado. I picked that as a win. On 9-24, they have their first away game and first Big Ten opponent, and they go into East Lansing and play the Spartans. I picked that as a loss. October 1st, they have a home game against Purdue. I picked Minnesota to win that game. Uh, October 15th, they go into Champaign and play Illinois. That's a win. October 22nd, they go into Happy Valley and play Penn State. That's a loss. October 29th, they play Rutgers. A win. And then that game that I said could be a critical game, November 5th, they go and play at Nebraska. I actually picked Nebraska to win that game. Uh, November 12th, they play Northwestern. I picked Minnesota to beat Northwestern. And then November 19th, they play Iowa. I picked them to beat Iowa. And they finish up their season November 26th on the road at Wisconsin. I picked that as a loss. So overall, I have Minnesota finishing at 8-4, and four, and I have them finishing 5-4 and four in the Big Ten. Well, I hope you guys enjoy. Hopefully it helps you out a little bit, and you guys enjoy your day. Have a blessed week, and we'll talk to you guys later. All right, Jason, thank you so much for that preview of the Golden Gophers. Jason goes in depth more than any of us in his previews, and we truly appreciate that. All right, guys, I'm not going to hold it back. I've been teasing it for weeks. I've got Minnesota with a 10-2 and record, 7-2 and in the Big Ten, and winning the Big Ten West. Let me run through that schedule real fast for you. 
non-conference home games against New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado. Those are all W's. I have them going on the road to East Lansing and losing to Michigan, coming back home against Purdue and winning. They go on the road against Illinois and win. I think they go into Penn State and win. Home against Rutgers, that's a win. At Lincoln, that's a win. Home against Northwestern, that's a win. Home against Iowa, that's a win. And their second loss comes on the road after they've already wrapped up the Big Ten West and they lose to rival Wisconsin on the road. So that is how I think Minnesota finds their way to Indianapolis for the first time under the leadership of P.J. Fleck. Chris? How do you have the Gophers going this season? Eric, I hate to agree with you almost as much as you <laughs> agree with me. And we didn't agree exactly. We got them with the same record, though. So I had them uh, winning their non-conference schedule. I actually had them beating Sparty, but then taking the loss uh, at Purdue, or against Purdue, rather. Yeah. I have them winning out the rest of the way, and I also have them losing that last game of the season to the Badgers. All right, Aaron, tell us we're crazy. You're not. (laughs) As much as I'd love it. I do think that they're a two-loss team, and, you know, Chris asked the question earlier about, uh, during the true-false segment, about, you know, the winner of the West having three conference losses. Um, I don't think that's the case. I think that it is two. I'll stay consistent with that. Um, I think that they're going to struggle with Iowa. I think that they're going to win, though, because they're going to be at home. I do think they lose to Wisconsin, and I think that they could lose to Nebraska because they're at Nebraska. I don't know if it's a night game, but that's certainly going to make it uh, a lot more challenging if it is because they've had a heck of an offseason. But I uh, I actually agree with you, Eric. I do think Minnesota is probably going to win the West, and I think that they have two losses. Well, if you just look at the schedules, it sets up so well for them. They do not have to play Ohio State, the team up north, or Maryland, who I think is the third best team in the east. They do have to play Sparty and Penn State, which a lot of people think are probably the third and fourth best team in the east. I I happen to disagree with that. I think they're the fourth and fifth best team in the east. And they they get they they have to do those on the road. But look at who they who their challenges are in the west. Purdue, they get them at home. Uh, Iowa, they get them at home. They do have to go to Wisconsin. But like I said, I think that by then the season might already have that wrapped up. And then they do have to go to Lincoln. But I'm not so sure that Nebraska at this point in the season has Scott Frost as their head coach. If things go sideways for for Nebraska early on in the season, he might be out of there before he even gets to that game. So that could be something interesting as well. So I just look at Minnesota's schedule and think to myself, they won nine games last year. Two of those losses, one was Ohio State, obviously. The other one was a freaking fluke loss to Bowling Green. That's not going to happen again. That was a two-loss team last year. And they've got the core of that team returning now as Jason pointed out their offensive line got a little bit of a shakeup but they had the deepest offensive line in the Big Ten last year and they've got a ton of super seniors on this team I think Minnesota has got I think I just, I just think the ingredients are there and here's the other thing no one's really talking about them 
You're hearing a lot about Wisconsin. You're hearing a lot about Purdue. You're getting a lot of love uh, for Iowa because they were there last year. You're getting a lot of love for Nebraska being the surprise team. No one's talking about the team that's got the most experience on the field, and that's Minnesota. Do do you guys feel like, though, that this Big Ten West could really come down to some kind of funky tiebreaker as these guys all beat each other up? Very well. It could. It could. I just think that, like, is Ibrahim, because he's coming back from Minnesota, and he's a monster. Is he going to be this – exactly. Is is he going to be the same runner, though? I don't know that he has to be because they got so much experience from that running back last year who had a great year as well. Yeah. Returning. It's going to be a two-headed monster there, a lot like what you're going to see from Ohio State. But here's the thing, man. That quarterback has then been there for ages. And I know a lot of people think, ah, oh, he he was terrible the last couple years. Go back and watch him in 2019. He was the best quarterback, one of, if not the best quarterback behind uh, Justin Fields in the Big Ten. And remember, we thought we were going to have to play Minnesota in the Big Ten Championship in 2019. Yeah. So, and and and, and, and here's the little secret. Their offensive coordinator who left Minnesota and went to Penn State is back. And when he was the offensive coordinator, that is when the passing game at Minnesota was at its best. We know they can run the football. If all of a sudden that passing game can improve as well like it was back in 2018-2019, Minnesota is going to be a tough team to take down because they're going to score lots of points and they're disciplined defensively. Are they as good as Iowa? No. But I think they're better than Purdue. I think they're better than Nebraska. They're definitely better than Northwestern and Illinois. I think they're on the same level as Wisconsin maybe and probably just a step behind Iowa. But their offense is light years ahead of the Hawkeyes. Well, the advantage advantage they have is Iowa can't score. Well, the the other thing too is is you're not – you're 100% right, Eric. You know, they could throw the ball – when they had Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, but those guys are gone. Now all they have is Chris Altman Bell, who's pretty darn good. And I know like I, I a lot of those guys got experience last year, but none of them really surfaced as like names that you know. Like when we played Minnesota, we knew who Rashad Bateman was. The only right. one we know now is, is Chris Altman Bell. Right. So I mean they're kind well, of one dimensional in the passing game now. Well, and that's because they just ran the football so well. I mean they and they kind of had to. We we understand well, that, you know. Yeah, well, but, I think Ottman Bell was injured too last year, so. So I mean yes. So there's there's definitely some okay, what's what's going to happen at that wide receiver position? Is it Dylan Wright and Jonathan Mann? Is does someone like Daniel Jackson step up? or uh, Brock Brockington, which is a name you've heard, or Ike White. I mean, there's there's some talent there. The only question is, is can one of them become a running mate to Chris Ottman-Bell? And, of course, the big thing with this team, in my opinion, much like we saw last year, is going to be their health. If they stay healthy, I think they win. If you see some injuries happening to these guys, they just don't have the depth, and that's going to that's gonna be the recipe for disaster for that team if they're going to win the West would be injuries. But if they can stay healthy, my money's riding on the Golden Gophers to win the West. Bingo. 
All right, guys, there you have it. That is this week's show. We will return back next week with two more teams. Uh, We actually only have five left, believe it or not, in the Big Ten. Of course, the last one being Ohio State, which we will have its own designated show, as well as Penn State and that team up north, which will also have its own designated show. Of course, we'll hear from our buddy Sean Butler, who will tell us, Oh, he'll be bragging it up, I'm sure. Still mm. still gloating in that win from last year. Tom and of course Brady. Kevin Kevin Egan will come in with his depression of being a Nittany <laughs> 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 fan. He's the best uh, dude too. Well Illinois is perpetual Illinois by far. Oh yeah. Illinois is yeah. used to it by now, so That's well, like, at least Illinois has got a basketball team. Penn State don't even have that, man. I guess like, they have wrestling. They got wrestling, right? Yeah, I was gonna say that's like asking it. Yeah, like, but what's worse, a Browns or a Bengals fan? <laughs> oh, stop it! Stop it! I, I think to. I'm I'm pretty sure them them the uh, them uh, the Bungles actually played in the Super Bowl last year. Just saying. Did they win? Everybody gets lucky now and then. Did the Bengals ever win the Super Bowl? The answer to that is no. It's just getting there. It's the journey, right? It's all about the journey, Aaron. Enjoy the journey. I would expect a losing program to say that. That's all I'm going to (laughs) go. I I, I don't remember celebrating the journey when Ohio State got there, Eric. So come on. Uh, Let's have a little history, brother. Hey, you got. Hey, you got to have. You got to keep things in order, man. I mean, you got to be excited about one and and just blatantly honest about the other, right? Facts. All right, guys, enjoy your day as always. Be kind to one another. I owe someone's OH and sing Carmen Ohio with all your heart. And until next time, OH! I owe! Go, Bucks! Oh, come, let's sing Ohio's praise and songs through armor while our hearts rebounding thrill and joy which death alone can still summer's heat or winter's cold the seasons pass the years will roll time and change will surely show how firm thy friendship oh